Good afternoon and welcome to Stuff You Should Know Selects. This is Charles W. Chuck Bryant here and my pick for this week is How Mirrors Work from September 14, 2010. And boy, this one was a tough one. I remember when we had the idea of doing a show on mirrors, I thought, well, that's going to be short and not so interesting. But then I thought, oh, wait a minute. How do mirrors work? How are those things made? Where did they come from? Uh, It's pretty amazing. So uh, we get into all that and more, and it's a pretty fascinating episode. And this will be one where you can kind of whip out some of these facts at at your next dinner party and amaze and delight your friends and family. So enjoy How Mirrors Work right here, right now. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. We're about to talk about mirrors. Nice setup. Succinct, huh? Uh-huh. How are you? Were you into mirrors growing Look, up? Now that we said, you know, I did it succinctly, we're going to just blow like three minutes. Yeah, right. <laughs> No, I was asking you if you were into mirrors growing up. Like in the mirrors growing up? Yeah, I mean, doesn't every kid go through a phase where they're, like, very obsessed with their looks and mirrors and things? Oh, yeah. I was into myself. I wasn't into mirrors. They were just well, yeah. a, a means to <laughs> an end, you know? Yeah, but I, I, like, I was reading this, and I kind of was just thinking to myself and remembering laughing about I remember being, like, 15 and, like, stopping to look at mirrors any time there was one to see yes. what I looked like. yeah. And now I just, I break them. I'd forgotten all about that phase of my life, though, until you just brought it up. Yeah, remember that? Yeah, it's nice to um, be able to not look at a mirror. Like, some days I'll go out, you know, after getting ready in the morning, and I have no idea what I actually look like. <laughs> but I'm so, and this is um, this is cross-pollination with an earlier podcast, I suffer from body dysmorphic disorder so badly really? that I don't really know what I look like anyway. What do you think you look like? I think I look a bit like the Tom guy Selleck? from Taxidermia. I what's that? It's not pleasant. Okay. <laughs> well, you don't, my friend. I don't even know what he looks like, but I can tell you, you don't look like him. I appreciate that, Chuck. Chuck, do you want to hear what I had in store? Like I could not come up with an intro for this. Let's hear it. Uh-uh. Webster's defines mirror. <laughs> oh, God. I'm kidding. I was going to say something equally bad, though. It was going to be something along the lines with mirrors are ubiquitous. <laughs> I've seen at least six of them today. Wow. They weren't always that way, though, Chuck. Well, it says in the article here that full-length mirrors have only been around 400 years. That didn't seem right. That's not right. Oh, actually. really? No. Um, full-length oh, mirrors, ha- there is a type of full-length mirror mm-hmm. Um that has been around for about 400 years. Full-length mirrors, as as far as I know, are mirrors capable of reflecting a full image of a person have been around since about the first century A.D., actually. Um, And mirrors, us using surfaces, polished surfaces, to see our own reflection um, has been around since about 6,000 B.C. Holy cow. Yeah, the earliest ones were found in Anatolia, Turkey, Wow. Uh, and they're polished obsidian. Yeah, this is a volcanic glass. Yeah. So it's it's dark, this interesting, but it still produced the best reflection, I guess, at the time. At the time, sure. Yeah. I mean you gotta you gotta go with what you what we have to work with, right? Well, yeah, but then after that they it led them to um like silver and bronze and copper polished right. polished reflections basically. And Chuck, I don't know if you've ever held a hunk of of copper. I have. Or bronze. I haven't. 
silver? I have. Okay. <laughs> it's heavy. Yeah, it's real heavy. Right? So this actually limited the size of mirrors for centuries, right? Yeah, and they were just kind of decorative at first too, right? I think so. And you also had to be extremely rich um, to yeah. own one of these. Sure. Right? Um, and then around, I think, the Middle Ages, we became capable of making glass. Right. And all of a sudden, it was like mirror technology just takes a huge leap forward. Well, true, but not not super uh, forward because the sand was uh, pretty impure back then. They used to make the glass. So I think they, um, they said in the article it wasn't until like the Renaissance yeah. that it kind of really started becoming a little more polished, if you will. Terrible. And then the Venetians... Or who really, you know, with the glass and everything, they just they just took it and ran with it. Well, even still, if you successfully made a mirror, um, it was probably extremely expensive as well. Yeah, because they were so rare. It, the process of manufacturing a mirror um, very infrequently produced a usable mirror. So what you're doing was adhering um, melted molten metal. Yeah. Onto glass, which yeah. almost always broke the glass. Sure. So when it didn't, I'm sure you're just like, oh, my God, it's the first one in seven years. I'm so <laughs> excited. Right. Um, but that uh, when I was reading this article, I didn't really think about it. That's what a mirror is, isn't it? I've even seen the back of mirrors yeah. and been like, oh, there's like metal looks like spray painted on the back. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that was a process, um, what's it called, silvering? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was invented by a guy named Justice von Liebig. Yeah. <laughs> and in 1835, he figured out how to spray a th- very thin layer of silver um, or aluminum on the back or on one side of a, a glass. And there, my friend, you have the modern mirror. Yeah. And now they, I think they make it now by heating aluminum in a vacuum in kind of much the same way or different methods, but the same same concept. Right. Go ahead. Well, I wanted to say when when you were talking about the Renaissance, the Venetians right. were uh, they I guess they had the secret of mirrors yeah. under wraps. It's like the Masons. Very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you were a mirror maker and it got out that you had told someone how to make mirrors, mm-hmm. you were frequently killed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Trade secret. Right. But when mirrors were introduced, um, when good mirrors were introduced, not polished obsidian, right. things changed a little bit, especially with art, right? Yeah, I never really considered that, but th- it spawned something that would become a, a hallmark of the art world, which is the self-portrait. Right. Before that, you couldn't draw yourself because you could not see yourself. That's exactly right. And it, you could, but I mean, you're going to use like maybe a pond or well, a yeah, sure. piece of polished metal or something like that. Imagine like... Going out and looking at a pond then going back and sitting down, though, as opposed to having a mirror there. Yes. Really simplified it. It's also not coincidental that um, good mirrors came about at the same time that um, linear perspective was introduced into art. What? Yeah. There's a guy named um, Filippo Brunelleschi. Filippo Brunelleschi? Nice, Chuck. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) Um, And he... He, I guess, discovered linear perspective because I think it's one of those things that was always there. Right. We just stumbled upon it uh-huh. through mirrors. Oh, really? That's how he figured it out. Yeah, because if you look at a mirror, all of a sudden, linear perspective really comes into focus. Right, right. If you will. Well, and then scientists um, said, hey, we could uh, use these to make like reflecting telescopes. And that was, what year was that? That was a long time ago. Uh, the first reflecting telescope was invented by a guy named James Bradley in uh-huh. 1721. 
Wow. Just off the top of my head. <laughs> very, very well done. Uh, and the mirrors were also used by a very, very famous scientist, early scientist named Archimedes, supposedly. Yeah. I wrote an article on Archimedes' death ray. Oh, did you write that? Yeah. Did you ever read it? I did. Back was, in the, a while ago, just out of interest. How about that? Thanks a lot, man. Sure. Did you see in it um, some, I, I can't remember, it was one of the Ivy League schools, they tried to set things on fire with this system of mirrors that Archimedes well, MIT did. used. That's who it was. And they succeeded. Yes. And the Mythbusters claimed it was busted. Like, they set a small fire, but I think they busted it because they said it wasn't enough to, like, sink a ship. Yeah. But MIT, I mean, they, they caused quite a fire on that boat. Sure. And, it, of course, they had, I mean, I saw the setup online today. It was pretty massive. Yeah. I don't know if Archimedes had that kind of technology. Or at least that many mirrors at his disposal. Or maybe he did. And plus they had, I think they used pretty good mirrors too. Yeah. Well, it was legend though. They, they don't know if the Archimedes thing is true, right? We know that he invented the water screw and that saved countless lives. What's that? Uh, it's a way to deliver water from the ground topside. Oh, really? Yeah. Cool. You'll have to check it out. Smart dude. Um, so Chuck, we now know the comprehensive broad strokes of the history of mirrors, right? Yes. Let's talk about mirror physics. We work for HowStuffWorks.com, <laughs> which means we're pretty much obligated to discuss the physics of whatever we're talking about anytime uh -huh. it applies, right? That's true. And mirrors are definitely one of those times. Yes. So, Chuck, take it away. <laughs> well, I can cover the first part because it makes sense to me. Uh, the law of reflection, um, Josh says that when you bounce a ray of light off a surface, it bounces back off in a certain way. And it is um, the angle of incidence is is when it comes in, the angle of reflection, and when it bounces off, right. and it matches. So the the way they pointed out in the article, which makes sense to me, is like at sunset, the sun's very low on the horizon, so it bounces off at a low angle hmm. or approaches the water at a low angle, like at a lake, let's say. Right. Then it bounces off of that lake at that same low angle, like right into your face. Right. But That's if why the, it seems brighter. If the sun's overhead, though. Yeah. The the sunlight is coming down onto the lake, and yeah. it's reflecting back up basically over your head. Yeah. You're looking at a horizontal angle, pretty much. Right. And this is happening on a vertical angle. Yeah, that's why you'll get, like, more glare at a sunrise or a sunset scenario. Right. Um, and what you're saying, the angle of incidence equals the angle of reflection, right? Indeed. If you take, uh, if, if, a, if a beam of light is shot at a 90-degree angle, or no, let's say a 80 degree angle, it's going to mm -hmm. bounce off at an opposite 80 degree angle. Right. So both are at 80 degrees, but if you look at the whole thing, the incidence and the reflection, it's going to cover 160 degrees, right? Yes. Right. So that's the first part. That's that's how that explains how light reacts with a, with a reflection. And that's with a smooth surface. With with most things, like say, look at my hand, man. Take a look at these hands. Yes. Um, the 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 light that's bouncing off of them, what's giving us the ability to see these huge, awesome hands. Right. Um, <laughs> hands is, are huge. Is uh, they're not huge, are they? No. They're very are they smaller than average size? No, they, they're bigger than mine. I got small hands. I wouldn't say you have small hands. Let's see. No, yeah. those are like 
Those are totally normal. I don't have hair on the back of my hands either. I've got hair on my first <laughs> knuckles. Yeah. Robin Williams. Um, what's allowing us to see our hands right now and judge their size and scale mm-hmm. is um, what's called diffuse reflection, which the, the light that's coming off of all of these light bulbs right now are hitting all these different areas, these different surfaces on my hands. Right. And it's bouncing off. It's being scattered, right? Right. The mirror, the highly reflective surface, um, what we have is called specular reflection. Right. And that is where it's pretty close to the law of reflection where the angle's coming in at one, or the light's coming in at one angle and coming off the, the, uh, the un, at the same degree. Right. In the opposite direction, right? Right. Um, which is why we're allowed to see ourselves in a piece of glass with metal on the back. Yeah. And what this creates when you're looking at yourself is called the virtual image, right? I yeah. find this fascinating. Yeah, me too. And it's a little brain melty for me. Of it course. Is, but at the same time, you realize like, well, you've grown up around mirrors the whole time and no one has any real concept of, of how they work, right? Yeah. We just take for granted that they do work, but you don't really give much thought to how they're working, right? Yeah. Like the Venus effect. Did you read about that? Yeah, that that's explain that because this is where when we talk about oh actually the Venus effect is di- two different things and both of them kind of melt my brain the <laughs> the left and right being reversed which is not actually true right. and then the Venus effect so let's talk about both of those okay well the Venus effect basically just shows how little we can grasp or how little we right. grasp mirrors and how they work if you look at um, paintings of the Venus de Milo uh-huh. or Venus the goddess. Um, almost always she's holding a hand mirror. Yeah. And in the painting, you can see her face in the mirror, but she's looking at herself in the mirror. Right. And her face is painted in the mirror for the benefit of the viewer, but you take for granted that she's viewing herself when in actuality, if you could see Venus's face in the mirror, she wouldn't be able to see herself. She'd see you in the mirror. Right. Because of that angle or the law of reflection. Yeah, and that's the only way I finally understood that was when I remembered, like, in my film set days, when you shoot a person looking in a mirror, they aren't—they don't see themselves in the mirror, clearly, because you would see the camera behind them. So the the mirror is angled, and it looks like they're looking at themselves and primping, but they're not seeing themselves. It's pretty cool. Right. So that makes sense to me now. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, The other thing you were saying is left and right? Yeah. It's not actually left and right. Yeah, this one was a little brain melty, but I think I finally got it too. Okay, so consider that what you're not, what you're seeing isn't actually your reflection, but another version of yourself in the mirror world, right? Right, right. If you look at it that way, then the mirror represents the halfway point. It's always halfway between you and your virtual self. Right. Right? Because your virtual self, the image of yourself in the mirror, is always twice as, it's always two times away from you with the mirror representing the halfway point. Right. So you're two feet from the mirror, and your virtual self is another two feet away from you. Right. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's, the left and right thing isn't really left and right. It's really right. front and back. That's right. That are reversed. You, again, think of yourself as the virtual image. Yes. You walk into the mirror world. You, take, you go another two feet away from where you were just standing. So you're now four, you're four feet away from where you're just standing and turn around. Right. Which is weird because it actually gives the virtual image something of its own identity, doesn't it? It does. It's a little creepy. Yeah. So when you're looking at a mirror, you're, it's not a reflection of you from the mirror's perspective. It's like the, the one example they gave was if you wrote something on a piece of paper and then held that paper up to the light and looked at it from the back, it would appear backwards. Right. But it's not. Right. You're just behind it. Yes. 
crazy, man. Isn't it? Yeah. It's pretty interesting stuff. And I got to say, when you, two things, when you mentioned doing mirrors, I said to myself, eh, really? And then when we told Jerry what we were doing this on, she was like, huh, really? Yeah. But it's, I think it's much more interesting than I originally thought. Well, again, it's like uh, the butterfly's wings, you know? Like, we just we have to know that if we're going to understand absolutely everything that's going on in the world. Which is our mission. Yes. Uh, should we talk about curved mirrors now? Yeah, because we were talking about virtual images. Yeah. There's actually a way to project a real image. Right. Where this thing isn't in the mirror, it's outside of the mirror, but it's not really there. It's a projected image. Right. And that uses um, concave mirrors. You might be familiar with holograms. Yes. Right? Is that the same concept there? Uh-huh, yeah. It oh, uses really? concave mirrors. And actually, mm-hmm. if you want to see a really cool example of um, a hologram produced by a set of concave and flat mirrors, uh-huh. um, you should type in Mirage in YouTube and look for the one that's lowercase, just Mirage, mm-hmm. and it's a little piggy, um, and it's pretty cool, the demonstration that this guy does. Oh, really? Yeah. I'll check that out. But Chuck, uh, there's concave and convex, right? Yeah, convex is the one that curves outward, and uh, it reflects at a wider angle near the edges in the center, so uh, things are actually smaller, and you can cover more area, so that's why they'll use those. Uh, they'll stick them on like your passenger mirrors so you can see more area around your car. Right. And it also notes, you know, objects are smaller than they appear or closer than they appear. Right. Objects are smaller than they appear. But they are smaller than they, yeah, they, they, would, than they that, appear. But that's sure. not really, that doesn't matter. It's whether they're like in your back seat or not. Yeah. And they actually, um, there are, have been rumors over the years that department stores put convex mirrors, mm-hmm. slightly convex mirrors in their changing rooms to make you, like, appear taller and thinner in the clothing right. that you try on. Remember that Seinfeld where Elaine, like, buys that dress yeah, and she figured right. out that they had a skinny mirror and I think uh-huh. like Barney's or Bloomingdale's or something? Yeah, I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. I, I don't know. I think that's probably urban legend, but who knows? Um, Chuck, the other one, like we said, was uh, concave, converging. We use those for holograms. They also use that to light the Olympic torch. Yeah, I didn't realize that either. I think that's a nod to Archimedes, too. Probably so. Uh, you're probably a little more um, acquainted with uh, convex mirrors. No, concave mirrors for like shaving or right. you know those horrible mirrors that show your like hair in detail. Dude, those are awful. They really are. Don't ever look in those. Non-reversing mirror, which really is pretty simple. It's just two mirrors perpendicular to each other, right? Yeah, and the deal is with that, they, they meet at the angle, and so... You technically can see a non-reverse image, but you've got that line running down the center of you. Right. They don't make like a flat, single non-reversing mirror. No, they don't. I think it's physically impossible. Yeah, it's not like they don't make it, like they're not interested. It just can't be done. But what's funny is there's a guy named um, John Derby uh-huh. who has a patent, or in 1887 when he was alive, he had a patent for a non-reversing mirror yeah. by sticking two mirrors together. Yeah. I could get a patent for that. I could fill out the patent application for that. You could? Yeah. It's like take mirror A and right. stick it perpendicular to mirror B. And right. There. Give me my patent. Well, but then John Derby's uh, family would come after you. Hopefully it ran out by now just for simpleness. Uh, Josh, two-way mirrors as seen in every cop shakedown movie ever made. Yes. Now, this is fascinating, Chuck. How does a two-way mirror work? Well, it's really pretty easy. It's just uh, it's the same concept of a mirror, but it's a very thin, uh, it's very much a lighter reflection, the material they use. And the coated side, when it faces the lit room, some of the light reflects and some goes into the dark room behind it. Mm-hmm. So basically, like you know, you can't, you can see only see one way. Right. 
Because of the light, mainly. Right. So it's just like very thin reflective surface yeah. where if you're not lit, if you turn in if you turn on lights in both rooms mm-hmm. you'd be able to see through that reflective surface right yeah it's all about the lighting yeah and that's a movie there there's several movie mirror things that are done in like every movie and that's one of them with the cop movie and inevitably the person getting questioned will always walk right up and like be staring into the face of the person on the other side that they can't see right and then the other favorite of mine which uh one of the SNL shorts aped was um the classic horror movie scene where you where you look in the medicine cabinet in the mirror and then you open the medicine cabinet and then you close it and the dude is right behind you. Yeah, that's a classic. It is. There's um again on YouTube I think there's a a montage like a four minute twenty oh, really? second montage of that being used over and over hundreds and over of times, again. dude, and it still gets people. Yeah, but now the the whole spin is to do that and then there's not someone there right. and then they'll turn around and that's where they are or something. Yeah, just jerking the audience that, around. That's in there too. Uh, oh, it is? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just people closing. There's someone saying there's ones where they're not standing there. Yeah. I love those movie conventions that are... Uh, the other one, too, is it doesn't have anything to do with mirrors, but the scene where you're where someone is searching for the files and, and the person's office after dark, and, you know, they're coming up the steps, and they open the door, and you're like, they're pinched, and then they open the door, and the person's gone, and there's, like, a window open. Right, and it's just like the curtains. Yeah, gently hundreds and hundreds of time is still done. Yet I'm still like, oh my gosh, here they come. What about uh, Poltergeist? That great classic mirror scene where the guy's oh, like yeah. picking at that little uh, oh, blister and ends up God. pulling his whole face off. Yeah, that's pretty creepy. Yeah, classic. Thank you, Toby Hooper. Did he make that? Yeah. Oh God, that's right. Yeah, Spielberg he produced it. it, right? That's right. I always think he directed that. What else, Chuck? Well, there's some superstitions around mirrors in folklore. Um, summoning Bloody Mary by saying her names three times in a mirror, or Candyman, if you're a little, Candy Man. Yeah, a little more recent. That's a good one. Uh, breaking a mirror, supposedly bad luck, because um, for seven years, because they believe that the soul regenerates every seven years. Yeah, I, that explains it, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's why vampires have no soul. That's why they can't see themselves in mirrors. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them I haven't heard of are uh, if you give birth and look in a mirror too soon afterward, you will see ghostly faces peek out from behind the reflection. Right. I'd never heard that one, did you? No. I had heard of sitting Shiva, though. Yeah, what's the deal with that one? Well, if you're Jewish and somebody dies, part of the mourning process is to cover all the mirrors in the house. Oh. Did you say that in the Talmud? Shut up, Chuck. <laughs> uh, also, we have gotten conflicting... Um, information about whether or not it is taboo among Judaism to be cremated. Did you notice? Yeah. And what we and I'll stand behind what we found, which was that reformed Jews will do it, but they it's still not like encouraged. Right. And that but it is actually forbidden in the actual Jewish text. Right. So there. Fine. Is that it? I think that's about it. Um oh New Year's Eve, right? Yeah, I hadn't heard of this one either. If you go up to a mirror on New Year's Eve with a candle in your hand and you say the name of a dead person, probably a dead loved one, yeah, um, in a loud voice, their face should appear in the mirror. Never heard that. And this is my favorite one, the ancient Chinese mythology. Uh-huh. 
Um, you know how you see weird movement in like the corner of a mirror every once in a while? Have you ever noticed that? Uh, sure. I just figured it was like your mind playing tricks on you. I'm sure it is, unless you're Chinese, pal. Okay. Then what it is are the um, the mirror people, the mirror kingdom. There's a group of opposites who live in the mirror kingdom, and they are sworn to do battle with us. Really? Yeah. And if, if this were Norse mythology, we'd lose. Creepy. And we may lose in this case, too. But they are in, a, I guess, a magical slumber. Um, but when we catch little weird unexplained movement in the corners of mirrors, um, this is these people stirring in their sleep. Right. Wow. Waiting to wake up and kill us all in our sleep. <laughs> I'll remember that next time I see something in the corner of my eye. Yeah. So that's it for mirrors. Um, that's it. I mean, that is it. Nothing else. There is literally nothing else to say about mirrors. Nope. And uh, if you think that there is, we defy you to go to HowStuffWorks.com and type mirrors into the search bar. Pal. Dare ya. Yeah. Listener mail time. Listener mail, Josh. This is a little uh, uh, cool organization that we want to support here. And how long have you been smoke-free, buddy? It's uh, over four months now. Crazy. Isn't it? So proud. Thanks, man. Uh, Hi, Chuck and Josh. I travel outside the city every weekend, listen to your podcast, and always share my new knowledge with friends. Uh, Needless to say, I'm the Friday night smarty pants, and I rather like it. Why I'm writing, I want to promote the New York City walk to beat lung cancer. Uh, I'm one of the head chairpersons at 28 years old. I never thought I would chair anything, but I love my new responsibility as I'm making a huge difference uh, to an underdog cause. How could cancer be an underdog, Josh? Is the question? I I don't know. (laughs) I think it's pretty bad. When you hear someone has lung cancer, the first thing that comes to your mind is probably, did he or she smoke? It never fails. It is a valid question. Uh, Funding for lung cancer is completely dwarfed by other cancers that are nearly as fatal and is completely due to the stigma of a smoker's disease. Uh, I get turned away by sponsors and media all the time because no one wants to support a disease that is so preventable. But the thing is, it isn't. People who get LC secondhand uh, for no reason at all. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Why don't people ask those with skin cancer if they wore sunscreen or people who have heart attacks if they ate well? It's just silly, but looking at the numbers, it just doesn't add up. Um, so here's what we're going to do, Jess. Since you were the chair, uh, there's an event in New York City. New York City? It's called the Walk to Prevent, I'm sorry, the Walk to Beat Lung Cancer. Lung Cancer. And it is October 24th, 2010 in Battery Park. Nice. And if you would like to take part in this Walk to Beat Lung Cancer, Jess would really appreciate it. You can go to a website, www.longevity, see what they did there, .org slash NYC Walk. So that is <laughs> L-U-N-G-E-V-I-T-Y dot org slash NYC walk or Twitter. Uh, you can follow this and get information at walk number four lung cancer, all one word or Facebook at walk to beat lung cancer. And Jess would appreciate your participation. So our New York City buddies that we met uh, while we were there. Uh, spread the word and get out and walk. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And if you're one of those people who poo poos lung cancer or helping battle lung cancer yeah maybe it's time you took a long look in the mirror because you could be a jerk (laughs) if you have any kind of uh organization like chuck and i to give a shout out to we consider those on a case-by-case basis don't we chuck we sure do um it definitely doesn't help or it definitely doesn't hurt to uh grease the wheels (laughs) if you know what i mean 
And we're not talking about cash prizes. No, we can't legally do that, can we? No. Uh, you can tell us about your organization in an email. Just send it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Want more How Stuff Works? Check out our blogs on the howstuffworks.com homepage. <laughs>